0: Well, all right, well, tonight, as we close out Alpha uh, session on page 62, how can I make the most of the rest of my life? Or, like, what, what is next? So it was nine long weeks ago that seemed like yesterday. Uh, asked a couple of questions. The first session was, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? Just... Being born, growing up, going to work, getting married, having kids, whatever else in the meantime, retiring and dying. Um, so I, I asked you the question. As a matter of fact, I may have not asked you the question directly, but I told you of a question I ask when this room is typically filled with 200 people. How many of you grew up studying the Bible or seriously looking into the Bible? And what I, I told you, you may recall, if you were here on that first week, that in a room of 200-plus people, I never see more than 10 hands. Never. But then I ask later on the question, how many of you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat and you think it's going to be good and it's going to last forever? Almost every hand in the room goes up. The question is, what is that based upon? What is it based upon? And then I introduce you to the dash, right, physical life, and the line, life after our last heartbeat. And ask the question, why why do we put more thought into things that are only going to be temporary than eternal? I mean, some will spend more time Christmas shopping this year than they will have spent time considering, can I know what's on the other side of my last heartbeat? Can I know if there is more to life than this? And I'd hasten to guess that Maybe some of us that are here, have maybe spent more time thinking about that in these last nine weeks, seem to be ten weeks than we have before. Thought more about the Bible. Thought more about the line. Uh, thought more about what it life. What? How does God fit into my life today? So I want to bring to you some quotes from Lewis, C.S. Lewis again. And we've uh, C.S. Lewis has educated us during this time. I'm going to bring you four quotes tonight that talk about the dash and the line and these are great quotes you may want to take a picture of them if you want to do that um if not i can i'm happy to get these quotes to you this this is a quote by lewis he says we all want progress and certainly that's true but if you're on the wrong road progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road in that case the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive in other words, if you know and you recognize you're on the wrong road, as quickly as possible, turn around, get on the right road, and go in the right direction. Now, for me, with my myology, and maybe you with your myology, um, wherever you may be, I realized my myology had me on the wrong road as it pertained to having a relationship with Christ. But when God, by his grace, opened my eyes and I began to see the scripture and people taught me what the Bible said, and I saw that it's either me that's right or the Bible that's right, and God opened my eyes to see that the Bible was right, by God's grace, I did an about turn, and I walked back to the right road, and I experienced life walking on this narrow road, as Jesus calls it, though it's been filled with Trouble at time, and there will be trouble ahead. I know it's the right road. And so that's, that's a, a quote that he gives us here. So that's life in the dash. In the, if life in the dash has been on the wrong road, and you realize that Christ is the right road, then get off the wrong road and get on the right road. And that's walking with him. Lewis also said this, a great quote. He said, you aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. You aim at earth and you get neither. If you're just living for the dash and it's all about you or me and what, you know, you only, the old Schlitz commercial, you only go around once in life. So grab for all the gusto you can. Right? Uh, so if, if life is just the dash, well, you may be incredible. You know, Howard Hughes uh, he left this planet a long time ago. And the question was, asked of him, how much money, how much, how much accumulated wealth did Howard Hughes leave behind? And the answer is, all of it. He didn't take anything with him. There's no U-Haul on the back of a hearse. You don't get to take anything with you if you're just living for the dash. And Lewis, a atheist, God opens his eyes and says this. If you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown If you aim at what it means to be in Christ, you get earth in Christ thrown in. But you aim at earth. If it's just about you, again, if it's just about you and you're just going to live and die in Adam, you're going to die like you were born, separated from God. And so aim at the line and you get the dash thrown in. Aim at the dash, and you get neither. Lewis said this as well. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world, in the dash can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I realize that all of the accomplishments, all of the accumulated wealth, prestige, doesn't fill me. Now, if you were here for week one... You saw we went through a lot of quotes of a lot of very successful people. And all of their successes, all of them said, virtually, actually, left them empty. So he says, if there's something in me that is not ultimately satisfied, if there is something on the other side of my last heartbeat, it must mean that I was made for the other side of my last heartbeat. Which I get to experience now, by the way. But ultimately, and measurelessly, forever on the other side of my last heartbeat. Lewis said this, I think this is so good. He who plans for this life, the dash, but fails to plan for the next, is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. So you plan just for this life, you got this life, that's it. But if there's something more, what happens in God's economy is He opens our eyes to the other side of our last heartbeat, which makes our life in Christ with Him in the dash fulfilling, meaningful, and hopeful. So that even in death, there is great hope because. You know, the Barbara Streisand song, I think, we've only just begun, is life. We've only, in Christ, we've only just begun. So, and here's what Jesus said about those quotes. I'm sure Lewis probably got his quotes from Jesus. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What does it? What does it profit a man if you got everything? The world acclaims you in the dash, but then you die. What does it profit you? Maybe you get a statue. Maybe you get your name on a plaque. Maybe you get a a bigger plot at Lake Lawn Cemetery. But what does it profit you? And then he goes on to say, what can a man give in return for his soul? What are you going to pay? What will you pay, what will I pay to somehow pay my soul after death out of Adam into Christ? And we know if we've been here for the last nine weeks, which we have, nobody earns their way, pays their way. Uh, So Jesus is clear. It profits us nothing. If you gain the whole dash, everything the dash has to offer, but you forfeit the line, what does it profit really? ultimately and the Bible says not much so we make the most of the rest of our lives by living this life in the dash for the next life in the line growing in deeper relationship with the God who loves us who died to prove it to give us life more abundantly as long as we're living in the dash until finally we put off this earth suit and we are with him forever and look, the fact of the matter is, there may be several of you who, over the course of these sessions of Alpha, have, have gotten in the wheelbarrows, received the gift, said, I do. Um, as strange as it sounds, um, you've just been born. <laughs> You're brand new. You're just born. I mean, born to a new life, born into a new family, born into Christ. And though you may be naturally educated and mature... Um, in many ways, spiritually, you're, you're a newborn. And, and that's exciting. And that's scary. But that's growing up in Christ. You know, there was something Annette said um, many years ago that stuck with me through the years, and I, and I make sure to make it a part of the course. Um, and this is, this is what she said. This is a quote by Annette Loria All right. It says, When we first surrender our lives to Christ by faith, We walk by feel. Then, as we mature in Him, we start to walk by faith. Do you get that? I mean, I know, maybe those of you who have have come to know Christ, maybe you can talk about this at your table tonight. When I... The night I surrendered my life to Christ, I woke up the next morning, and I was the same guy. Same morning breath, you know, same everything. Um... But on the inside, I was different. And I knew it. And I was walking. I didn't need faith because I felt so different. I, the weight of sin had been taken off of me. A joy that seemed impenetrable had come around me and in me. But you know what happened? Those feelings began to wane. I, I, there's a there's a gal that came down from many years ago, and she just kept that little, you know, how good are you for spiritual laws, uh, um, steps to peace with God in front of her, and she just kept wanting to read that prayer over and over again, because she just did not want the feelings to go away. Um, but God doesn't want us to be, as the song says, hooked on a feeling. He He wants us to be hooked on him and walk by faith, so our relationship grows with him by faith. I mean so the fact that the feelings wane, the fact of feelings wane is actually a gift from god it 's god 's kindness. you know if i don 't remember growing pains, maybe you remember growing pains i 'm not talking about the TV show i 'm talking about literally when your bones start to hurt because you 're growing, maybe you remember your kids' growing pains. Um, But there has to be pain in the physical body for growth, and our faith grows as we go through spiritual growing pains. As the feelings wear off, and we begin to walk by faith. Again, you as you begin to walk by faith, imagine your child. Okay, once they start they crawling. Uh, You don't want to stop them from crawling. Once they start walking, you don't want them to start crawling again. Why? Because they're growing in being a human. We grow in being new creations by walking in faith, even when we don't feel like it. Because the Christian life, just like being a human, is not whether you feel like it or not. You are who you are. So God wants us to walk by faith. And he wants our faith to grow. And so Paul writes to the the church at Rome. He says, faith comes from hearing. Faith in Christ comes from hearing. And hearing comes by the word of Christ. So it's like God plugs us in. Faith comes and God plugs us into faith through his word. It's It's something that keeps us aware of, paying attention to, focused on the truth. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. But so does knowing. Knowing God comes from hearing, and knowing God grows by the word of Christ. Trusting God comes from hearing, and trusting God grows through God's word, the word of Christ. Falling in love with God comes from hearing, and falling in love with him grows through the word of Christ. Strength to endure through difficulties and trials comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Understanding of God's word comes from hearing and understanding grows through his word. And so just like anything else, we need to be plugged into the power source who is plugged into us. He's put himself in us. He's put us in him and he wants to recharge us, if you will, through his word and through many, many other ways. Again, this is uh, we just got to put ourselves in a place to hear. To hear from God ourselves, to hear from God among others, to hear from God among being taught in, in many various different ways. But again, being born, it's just the beginning of a lifelong relationship with God based on his performance. We have to remember that. All of my standing before him is because of his performance, not mine. He wants us to live dependent as children, trusting him. All of the time. And so, so what do we do now? What do we do? Well, uh, the scripture that, that the, our session is tonight is from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome, the 12th chapter. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies. Let me just say that. I urge you, therefore, brothers, because of God's mercies. Not because of your goodness. Not because of your faithfulness, but because of God's mercy. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. That's your spiritual service of worship. So what does God want us to do? Presenting my bodies just means hanging out with God. Being with Him. Being aware of Him. Giving time for Him. Because in that time with Him, I grow in my faith. I grow in my knowledge of Him. I grow in my discernment to know what's God. What's me? What's the devil? I, I grow in all those ways. And so as I am presenting myself to him, as, if I am, as I am hanging out with him, as I am experiencing his nearness, he has made me alive because I'm in Christ and Christ is alive. He's made me a holy sacrifice because Christ is alive and Christ is holy. And I am acceptable to God. Here's a good question. Do you feel acceptable to God? Don't have to answer it. But do you feel acceptable to God? Do you feel living you feel holy? Okay, maybe you do. Probably you don't. Now, if you're not in Christ, you shouldn't. Because according to the Bible, you're not. Just like I wasn't. But if you are in Christ, whether you feel like it or not, if I am in Christ, whether I feel like it or not, God says, hey, you're as alive as Christ is, and you're as holy as Christ is, and you're as acceptable to me as my son is. Because I gave you his life, so that in him, you are living, holy, and acceptable. That should, that should blow you away. That should blow me away. The God who created everything is totally holy, never makes a mistake, has placed me into Christ and says, if you're in Christ, if you're in me, you're alive, you're holy, you're acceptable. So live like it. I've given you the power and the ability placing you into the power source into that relationship to live like it. And he says here, "And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable and perfect." Okay? So stop living like you're in Adam. Stop being conformed to the way you were, you were before you came into Christ. And therefore, and let the And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is some of the renewing of your mind stuff. Living, holy, acceptable. That takes a mind change. And it's something that takes studying and asking God and sitting with God and reading his word. And and letting his life pour over me. Not the world pour over me. Because this is just the beginning. What's this telling me? It's that the new source, the new life that God has given me has its source from living a life to him, toward him, and with him and before him because he wants all the time for you and me to experience his love. He's not flitting in and out of different universes, though he may be doing that. An eternal God, who has no limitation by time, is always with us. So, I make the most of the rest of my life understanding this universal truth. That the more I know him, the more I will trust him. The more I trust him, the more I will love him and the more I love him, the more I will serve him and the more I serve him, the more I will know him and the more I know him, the more I will trust him and the more I trust him, the more I will... Love him, and the more I love him, the more I will serve him. And that continues to increase and increase and increase. Because faith grows. Faith in him grows. The faith he's given me is exercised like spiritual muscle. And the more my life is planted and rooted in knowing him, the more God transforms me to delight in living a fruitful life that is dependent upon him. So we look at growth. Growth is organic. Right? You, you, you didn't give birth to Alex, Danielle, and suddenly he's the size he is today. Right? It It's organic. Birth is, and conception and birth from the womb and growing outside of the womb is organic and it is a slow process. So conception makes us who we are. Time and nutrition makes us, makes that revelation become real. What is in that egg and sperm is realized as the child grows in the womb, the child grows outside of the womb, and the adolescent and the adult grows into full manhood. But growth is organic. It takes time and attention. And that is so true of every relationship, isn't it? That's so true of every relationship. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said this, he said, and I pray, here's Paul's prayer, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, here's the question. Do you think God wants you to know how smart he is or do you think God wants you to know how much he loves you? Now you can say both, and I'm not going to argue with that. But would you, write to, would you prefer to know if, would you prefer to know, let's say your father your dad said, "You can know everything I know, or you can know how much I love you?" What would you rather know? That how smart your daddy is, or how much your daddy loves you? I, I'll take B. I'm grateful that my dad's smart. But I'm more grateful that my dad loves me. See, here's, here's the picture. Rooted and grounded in love. Okay? Where's, how am I going to be rooted and grounded in love? I got to be in Christ because 1 John 1, 5, God is love. We got have power. You have power along with all the saints. That's the Lord's holy people. I don't know why I use this translation. Along with all the saints to grasp, okay, to grasp, to understand how, catch this, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ? You ready to grasp that? I don't know how to grasp that. I grasp that. And to know his love that does what? It surpasses knowledge. You know what that means? It's, it's more than our natural ability to comprehend. It's beyond what I know naturally. So that you can be filled up to the measure of all of the fullness of God. God wants us to know. Do you see the emphasis here is love of Christ grounded in love to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's what God desires for us. We make the most of the rest of our life by first understanding and grasping how amazing God loves the likes of me. Died for the likes of me. And wants to always be with the likes of me. So Paul goes on to write, he said, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, so as a plant matures, it puts off fruit as it matures. It's in good soil, it's fertilized, it experiences the challenges of difficult weather and the joys of good weather and it grows and the natural result of it a plant doesn't grunt out fruit. That's natural. A plant naturally gives forth its fruit. And so Paul says bearing fruit in every good work and in in, in that we increase in the knowledge of who God is. Again, growing pains hurt but they're a sign of growth, growth through reading the Bible, prayer, communicating with God, being with other believers. So I wanted just to do this real quick. I want to... Um, we're gonna, I know we're running a little bit late because of our graduation ceremony, um, but maybe maybe I'll just do this to speed us up a little bit. So that in Mark chapter 4, there is a, a a story of the parable of the soils or a parable of the sower. Um, and... There are four soils that are represented. Okay, the picture is this: Jesus says a, seed, a sower goes out to seed his, to sow his seed, and he throws out seed. Some of the seed falls by the roadside; it's it's on hard ground. We could picture that as asphalt or something like that, concrete. He says other seed falls into shallow soil. Okay, just on the side of the road, there may be a little bit of. Dirt, maybe a little bit of shallow ground there. The other falls into weeds. Soil. There's good soil there, but there's weeds. And then he says, other seed grows, pardon me, other seed uh, falls into the ground and it grows in fertile soil. And so what Jesus is giving here is telling the soil is a picture in the scripture of the heart. It's a picture of my heart. Okay, So seed that falls by the roadside is falling, if you will, on a rocky heart. It Seed hits it, seed's repelled by it, and the Bible says Satan comes and steals, or the birds come by and steal that seed, and it has no effect. Now, he also says that there's seed that falls into a heart that has some understanding and takes it in for a little bit of time, but the sun comes out and burns out the roots. Jesus says that's a picture of those that receive for a moment, but the temptations of the world come, and quickly whatever they were experiencing is gone. And then Jesus tells a third, third uh, story about a third seed that falls into good soil, good soil, but the soil is filled with weeds. And so all the, nu- the seed falls in, uh, into the soil with weeds, and the weeds suck up the nutrient. Of that good seed. So even though it germinates and comes up out of the ground, it has no nutrition to be able to bear forth fruit. And Jesus says this that life is unfruitful. And he says, the weeds represent the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Okay, the worries of the world. We got a few of those? Okay. The deceitfulness of riches. Talk about that. And cares, and he just throws in a generality, cares for other things. And then he talks about a fourth soil. And the seed that, is, that falls upon that soil grows into a fertile soil, grows into a fertile plant that, re, that reaps a harvest 30, 60, and even 100 times more than the seed that was planted. And so the Lord is giving a warning here that the seed that experiences the joy of God is the one that makes sure... Look, I'm, I'm pulling weeds out of the soil of my heart daily. How about you? <laughs> I mean, it's impossible almost to live in this world today without the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and cares for other things, coming to choke out the fruits. And so we all need to be good gardeners. Um, and look, and so let me just say this in terms of where we are tonight making the most of the rest of our lives and where we go from here. You can leave here really excited, really excited about what you've experienced. You have to continue. You, you, if you're going to grow, you have to continue. I, I was, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, that um, when Annette, when we, when we built our house over here across the street um, and we had new grass put in, it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful, for about three months. And then all that was in the soil Started coming up out of past the past the Saint Augustine grass that cowardly ran away. I mean that Saint Augustine grass was pathetic, and it didn't even put up a fight against. I have the United Nations of weeds. If you'd like to start a weed collection, you can just come over to my house, and I mean you get everything you can imagine: oxalis. I learned that word from my wife. Dandelions and uh, clover, and, and you name it. Dollar weed. I hate dollar weed. If, I had a, if that, that dollar weed was just a dollar, I would be a rich man. I mean, I'd be amazingly wealthy. So, so what are some of the things that I need to do to have a growing, maturing relationship with him? The things that allow me now to grow in him. Well, again, just like we work out physically, you exercise physically, you strengthen your biceps by doing bicep curls and whatever else you do, pull-ups, whatever else you guys, Taylor, Alex, you know what you do to strengthen your biceps. But if you don't work your biceps, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have biceps that look like my biceps. Um, and and so, but if you want to work, if you want to grow spiritually, you 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 do bicep curls with your Bible. Okay, you you exercise with this word and it strengthens us internally that's what the holy spirit does faith comes that strength to trust christ when it doesn't make any sense comes by hearing and applying god's god's word so some things i want us to know and you've actually we got to have a a bookmark for you to take with you tonight as well. It's just some things to remember and rehearse. These came from a good friend, Ken Boa, just a tremendous author and teacher. These are four things that Ken says. Remember and rehearse. You're going to make the most of the rest of your life? Remember and rehearse these things. One, there is nothing. Now hear me. There is nothing. This is, this is Bible right here. There is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Nothing we can do to earn God's favor. All of our efforts before God fall short of his character and righteousness. In other words, stop trying to earn what you can't earn. Trust that you can't earn it. And realize all of our efforts fall short before God's character of righteousness and righteousness. Just as none of our actions will make God love us more. There's nothing you and I can do to make God love us more. It is equally true that there is nothing we can think, say, or do to make God love us less than he does. God's love is always like this toward you and me. That doesn't mean he always likes what I'm doing. That doesn't mean I can't grieve him as I choose to walk according to the world and the flesh and the devil. As I allow the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the care for other things, lots of weeds to come in and choke out the fruit. But his love for me never changes. Because his love for me is based on what he did, not on what I do. That's what the Bible says. Boa goes on to give us two more. He says, growth in our relationship with God is not accomplished by our own attempts to create meaning and purpose. Our responsibility is to walk in the power of the Spirit and not in dependence on our own efforts. Again, this is the more I know him, the more I trust him, the more I love him, the more I understand him and love him and serve him, the more this is gonna make sense to me. My responsibility is to walk obediently in the strength that he provides in Christ and not in dependence on my own efforts. And God begins to show me the difference between my efforts and his efforts through me. Last one. Our focus should not be deeds and actions, but on a relationship, not a product, but a person. See, if, if I am focusing on deeds and actions, I am more than likely focusing on myself so that I get what I want and I don't get what I don't want. But if I'm focused on a relationship and I understand that God loves me in spite of me, then what I do is birthed out of my love for Him, not trying to produce products, but because I love Him. The products happen as a result of that, a man and a woman are married. They are intimate. The natural result of that is, at times, children. The fruit of that. It's just so important to see these things. And then Boa said one other thing. I want to catch this one more quote from Dr. Boa. He says, The world, that's an that's Adam, the world defines who we are by what we do. Let me just stop. How many people, if you ask them the question, um, who are you, will define themselves by what they do? Who are you? I'm an engineer. I'm, I'm a chemist. I'm a garbage collector. I'm a, Well, that's what we do in Adam. We define ourselves because we're no more important... We're no more valuable in our eyes than what we do. But the word of God centers on who we are in Christ and tells us to express that new identity in what we do. Because I'm in Christ, I do what I do. Not to find my identity, it's just the natural result of being who I am. Being and doing are interrelated. But the biblical order is critical what we do should flow out of who we are not the other way around you see you see what he's saying here otherwise hear me hear this our worth and our, our identity are determined by achievements and accomplishments and when we stop performing we cease to be valuable do you see where this is leading if I find my identity in what I do, what happens when I can't do it anymore? Who are you? What value have you? Why are you even taking up space on the planet? Our value to God is proven by the death and burial and resurrection of His Son. Our value pricelessness to him is based on how he has priced us not by he the way he or anyone by by the way the world or we or anyone else puts a price tag on us his price tag on you and me is invaluable bought by the blood of his son and that value remains from the moment you and I receive him and goes into eternity. So important. So important to see. That's how we make the most of the rest of our lives. Realizing that our value is because God calls us value, valuable not because of our performance. And here's, and here's the good news as we get ready to close it up here. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until we see Jesus. That's what he said. Hey, he began a good work in you. One, your idea. One, my idea, for sure. He's the one that came running after you and me. And he who started this work in you is faithful to complete it. Just one more statement here that I want to just kind of see if I can. Get this, I've got this written down and so I may just read this more than I try to just memorize and give it to you. But to this, to end this, Alpha, I want to take us back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden, where God came down to Adam, called for him after he had sinned and asked, Adam, where are you? And through the centuries, that question rings out to every one of us because every one of us has gone the way of Adam and sinned. So on November 23rd, 2021, he could be asking the question, Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Hear God, where are you? He's not asking, doesn't, God does not ask us that question because he doesn't know where we are. He's asking us that question. He's asking you that question just like he asked me. Because he wants to know if you know where you are. Where are you with him? Do you know? I, I, of course you do. If you don't, you, maybe you've been here, but you haven't, <laughs> maybe you haven't been here. Um, But here's one of the beauties of the Garden of Eden and the very beauty of where we live. Did God know where Adam was? He certainly did. Did he know what Adam had done? Did he know the mess that Adam had made and what that was creating? He did. And what did God do in the garden? He came looking for Adam. In spite of what he had done and known he had done, and the cost that that would bring to this world, to his world, he came looking for Adam. Does God know where you are, what you have done, the mess you have made? Sure does. And what has God done in New Orleans, Metairie, Destrehan, Saint Rose, wherever? He's done the same thing he did in Eden. He has come looking for each and every one of us. The same God that said to Adam and asked you and me, where are you, is the same one in Jesus who says, I know where you are. And I've come looking for you. And now Jesus says, now come to me. Here's the thing. If we don't come to Christ, if we don't come to Christ... If we don't come to Christ, we're coming to something or someone. We're either presenting ourselves to him who's promised us life in the dash and life in the line, or we're coming to something that may or may not get us through the dash. It was Bob Dylan that said, you're going to serve somebody. But Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. He's saying, wherever you are, come to me. And look, you may have been coming to Alpha all these weeks, but it's been more than that, much more. It's not been you coming to Alpha. It's God who has been coming for you, wooing you through every time we've been together. I'll close with this. The only thing the world can offer is a temporary hope in the dash. That's it. That hope is fleeting. That hope is momentary. It may be exhilarating for a moment. But not the hope that God has given and has backed up in Jesus for us in the line and in the dash. I just want to encourage you. Um, if, If you're not continuing... With us, I just, I can't thank you enough for coming here. I really cannot. Thank you for letting us, for trusting us, for letting us serve you. And hopefully be, be some new friends. Um, but just keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God will always be listening. Um, though Alpha is done, I am sorry to say, no, I'm not sorry to say, God is not done. Uh, there will be staring at the ceiling nights. Um... So, again, thank you for being here on behalf of the whole Lakeview family. We are grateful that you have spent these, as many weeks as you spent with us, many of you, 10 weeks on a weekend. Um, Think of us as you eat your alphabets, those of you who have been eating your alphabets. And, of course, we would love to see you next week. If if you feel so inclined to come, just come once. If you like Alpha, just come once. If you like it, keep coming back. Now, we do have a little questionnaire uh, that we'd love for you to fill out just during the break before we uh, uh, get to our table conversation but do that so again god bless you may you have an incredible may you have the most thanks-filled thanksgiving ever and may christmas be to you this year unlike what it has ever been before as you see the one who humbled himself who took on the form of a man and gave himself for us may this christmas have meaning for you Like never before, as you see the love of God clearly displayed in an infant that came to give his life for us. So we love you guys. Thank you so much. Let's take a quick break and uh, get back to our tables.